You can go ahead and take a seat. Uh, if we've never met, my name is Rob. I'm on the pastoral team here at St. Pete's, and it's a joy to be with you today. And if we've got anyone visiting today, if, if this is your first time to St. Pete's, I want to give a special welcome to you. We are so glad that you've chosen to spend your Sunday with us. And to St. Pete's kids, it is so fun to have you in the service today. Thank you so much for teaching us the, the motions to My God is Powerful. Uh, I was with Rachel just stumbling a little bit at the beginning, but I, I caught on and it was really fun. So thank you. Now, as a church, we've been going through a series called Brick and Mortar. And we've been examining the foundations of what we believe as Christians, brick by brick. And for the last few weeks, we've been exploring what it means to be the church. If you've ever noticed, at the end of every single one of our services, we have a slide that says, thank you for bringing the church into this building. And that's because the church is not just a building. And it's not just a thing you go to once a week on Sundays. What we've been exploring is how the church is the body of Christ. It's the people of God who follow Jesus and who are following Jesus together. And today, I want to focus in on this whole being the people of Jesus together piece. Because if you are following Jesus, and I am following Jesus, then that means that we're following Jesus together. And I want to acknowledge that maybe that's not you. Maybe you, you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, and that's okay. I want to thank you for being here still and, and for pushing in and exploring who Jesus is. And if, if that's where you are, actually, I think this is a really helpful topic for you to consider too. What does it look like? What would it mean if you were to follow Jesus together with all of us? So that's, that's what I want to explore today, is what does it mean for us to follow Jesus together? And we're going to look at this in three parts. We're going to look at a life together, and what does it mean to have a life together? What does it mean by doing this with one another? And then how does Jesus empower us to live this out? So let's start with, what does it mean to live a life together? Now, every week in St. Pete's Kids, they start with the question of the day. Do you like broccoli or carrots? Do you like ice cream or donuts? It's a fun way to start their time and to prompt some conversation. And I thought it would actually be a really fun way for us to start our time together too. So let's, let's do something together. It says embodied action as a sermon. You're not just going to sit there passively today. Uh, by show of hands, do you like cats or dogs? Raise your hands if you like cats. That's some of the room. Raise your hands if you like dogs. That's more of the room. Now, I have to confess, I like dogs. I'm, I'm with more of the room. Um, although, those of you who like cats, I love you too. Uh, in fact, sometimes when my wife and I go out for a walk, if I see a dog go by, and she will attest to this, uh, I can get a little distracted. And I might even say, oh, I want one. And then she, she smiles and sighs and says, yes, but we can't have one in our apartment. And then she has to remind me what it was that we were talking about. And I'm such a dog person that dogs even know it. Uh, the other week, Alistair and Julia were out for the day, and they asked me to take care of their dog, Baxter. And so, of course, I said, yes, absolutely, I will take your dog for the day. So I hadn't really met Baxter before, but they give me the key to their house. So I walked in, and, and Baxter saw me, and he sensed that I was a dog person. And without even a bark or a whimper, he bounced after me, jumped straight into my car, and we had the best day ever. <laughs> Incidentally, ever since... Alice has given up any hope of his dog ever being a guard dog. <laughs> now, it's really easy to divide our world over the cat people and the dog people. 
or over the people who prefer ice cream from Ernest or from Rain or Shine. That, that hit a note. <laughs> or for the kids, the people who prefer watching Paw Patrol or Octonauts. That got a... a, a, a yeah. <laughs> the thing is, we can divide over bigger things, too. We can divide over politics and race, nationality and language, and questions of civil rights and personal freedoms. But the, the exercise of asking a question of the day isn't meant to divide us. Rather, it's supposed to help us see and remember what truly unites us. In Colossians chapter 3, verse, beginning in verse 9, we read, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its old practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all, and in all. Christ is all, and in all. If we are in Christ, if we're followers of Jesus, then what divides us is no longer the most important thing about us. My identity is, is, is not in my politics, and it's not in my nationality. Being a dog person is no longer the primary thing that defines me. Rather, Christ is all. Jesus Christ is the most important thing about me. And if you are following Jesus, then that means that Jesus Christ is the most important thing about you too. I, I love this image that we get in this passage of the old self and the new self. It's an image of clothing. Imagine you've spent the whole day hiking through the woods. You've seen beautiful scenes of lush forests and flowing streams. You've splashed through puddles and squelched through muddy trails and you've smelt the fresh air of pine and salt sea spray. And now, at the end of a long day, your clothes are marked by mud and sweat and rain. And when you get home, what, what do you do? Well, you take them off and you jump in the shower. And then you clean yourself off. But after you clean yourself off, you don't put on the same clothes. You don't put on the muddy, sweat-stained clothes that you were just in because that's just going to make you dirty all over again. Instead, you put on clean clothes. Paul says, put off the old self with its old practices and put on the new self. He's using this image of clothing to describe following Jesus. Once you follow Jesus, he explains it's like you've put on a new set of clothing. Jesus has washed you clean from all the grime and dirt and filth, and now he's given you a new set of clean clothes. This new self and Jesus thing, it, it's this new clean of, set of clothes, it, it's not just a me thing, though. It's a we thing. If in Jesus Christ I'm a new creation, and if in Jesus Christ you are a new creation, then that means that we are new creations in Jesus Christ together. We are co-followers of Jesus, which means we share the same faith and the same hope and the same love. And Jesus has then united us together in him. And this is a spiritual reality. Our life of faith is a shared life of faith. And that means that we're not just following Jesus on our own. We can't. Whether we like it or not, if we're alive in Christ and we're following Jesus and keeping his commandments, and we've been raised to new life in him, and I've put on this new self, this new set of clean clothes, then despite all of our differences and divergent opinions, 
We are united together. Because I am united to Jesus. And you are united to Jesus. And that means that we are united together in him. And he is the most important thing about us all. Because you see, this Christian life thing is a life together. And if you are following Jesus, then the spiritual reality is that you are not following him alone. The Christian life is a life together. And it's a life together with one another. So let's turn now to consider what it means to be with one another. In our first passage, which was read today, uh, Jesus was speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to his 12 closest followers and friends. He's giving them a commandment. It's a rule or an instruction for them to follow. And he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, I was told by Miss Rachel that in St. Pete's Kids, this is your memory verse right now. I remember that actually this was one of the first verses that I memorized too. And remembering and memorizing what Jesus told us to do is a really helpful thing for us when we're seeking to follow after Jesus. But have you ever noticed how many times in the Bible it says this phrase, one another? Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Forgive one another. Build up one another. Greet one another. Serve one another. One another, one another, one another. It just goes on and on and on. In fact, there's over 100 times in the New Testament when it says this phrase, one another. And most of these are commands, instructing us on how to interact with each other as we seek to follow Jesus together. And when you survey all of these occasions where it says one another in the Bible, there are two things which stand out to me. First, when it says you should bear with one another, be patient with one another, and forgive one another, it presumes that there's something inconvenient about this life together in Jesus thing. It presumes that people will burden us or or tax us or maybe even hurt us. When we're told to serve one another, show hospitality to one another and honor one another above yourself, there's still an implied relationship among the followers of Jesus that not only levels the playing field between us, but also suggests that for me to follow Jesus fully and truly, I need to treat you more important than I treat myself. I know in St. Pete's Kids, you've talked about this as taking care of other people. Like when you notice someone at school who's on their own, or even at St. Pete's Kids, who's on the outside, and you often sit with them and invite them to join you and your friends. Because we take care of people the way that they want to be taken care of. These one another commands presume some sort of inconvenience towards those who follow Jesus. But secondly, they also presume the existence of a relational way of being. In order to follow Jesus properly and to keep these commands, we need each other. I like how Alistair puts it. He says that we cannot one another ourselves. We cannot one another ourselves. I cannot honor myself above myself. I cannot honor one another above myself. And I can't one another myself. I need you to one another me. And there's been a number of people in my life who have one anothered me Uh, but one person in particular I want to tell you about is Preston. Uh, Many of you do know Preston, but for those of you who don't, Preston has been one of our pastors for the past five years. Actually, he's been at St. Pete since week two, Um, and we're very sad to see them. Preston and his wife Deanna and their kids are actually going to be moving to the States next month, and we're really sad to see them go. 
Um, but the very first time I ever came to St. Pete's, I came on my own and I didn't really know anyone. I was a student and I was looking for a church to call my home. And I'll never forget how Preston greeted me after the service. He saw me and he invited me to come join him and a group of others to go get lunch. And I was a poor student and I hadn't been expecting to go out to lunch that day. And actually, I couldn't afford it. And so I shared that with him and I thanked him for the invite but said that it just wasn't in my budget to go buy lunch that day. But he persisted. And he and his wife, Deanna, bought me lunch that day. And still to this day, that's one of the clearest examples I can think of, of someone embodying what it means to greet one another and to show hospitality in the Lord to another person. But not only did Preston show me generous hospitality, he's rebuked me too. Uh, And this is a bit more recent than I'd care to admit, but... um, we had a staff meeting where I was harboring some resentment for something that had happened. And it wasn't actually anyone's fault other than my own. But my pride had taken a beating and the situation had made me feel like a fool. And so in my anger and resentment, I, I said some things that I should not have said. And I was really rude to, to everyone on our staff team. And afterwards, he called me out. He called me out and he said that what I said was offensive and really out of line. He spoke the truth and love to me he rebuked me and admonished me and called me to repentance. Preston has shown me how to follow these commands to one another, each other. And he's done it by one anothering me. And whether in showing me incredible hospitality or calling me to repentance, and, and, and it was inconvenient for him. I, Rob, inconvenienced him, Preston. But still, he chose to love me as Christ has loved him. And he helped me to be a better follower of Jesus because of it. But let's be real for a minute, though, because this whole life together with one another thing is hard. It's hard. It's hard to one another each other. It's hard to love others. The one in pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote a book called Life Together. And in this book, he talks about community. And he talks about what a rich blessing Christian community can be. And one of the things he warns about, though, is entering into a community with our dreams and ideals of what this community needs to look like and be like. To paraphrase him, he says, when we love our dream of community more than the Christian community itself, we will damage and destroy the actual community, even though our intentions and hopes may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. Now, imagine you just joined a rec league soccer team. It's already partway through the season, and the team's already got a vision for how they run the game, how they do practices, and and their strategy for how they play. But you've got some experience with sports, and maybe even playing soccer, and you've been watching the English Premier League, you've been taking notes on how to be the most effective team possible and how to win the league. And you join this new rec league team with all your strategies and plans and ideas and dreams and hopes for winning the cup, or winning the league, and you bring them to the rest of the team. What's going to happen when you hold your new rec league team to the standards and hopes and dreams of Liverpool or Chelsea? Or what happens if you're on an ice hockey team and you try and hold your team to the standards of the NHL? It's not going to go well, is it? There's going to be some problems. And as you're, getting, you're going to get really frustrated with the team 
and they don't, when they don't play the way that you want them to. You're going to get really frustrated with them when they don't receive this vision of the expectations of playing at a professional level. And then they're just going to take you to the side. Someone's going to very gently try and say, hey, you just need to relax a little and just come out and have some fun with us. That's, that's what we're here to do. The problem of bringing a dream, an ideal of how a community needs to be, is that you can never appreciate the community that already exists. When we have an ideal of what this community needs to look like, we will constantly hold it up to the demands and expectations that we have of it. We will be constantly judging the community until it reaches our expectations. We'll be judging the people beside us. We'll be judging ourselves. And we'll be judging God until he makes the community look the way that we want it to. And when things don't go the way that we want, our defense mechanisms will begin to kick in. We'll grow frustrated with the people around us and we'll start to bemoan and complain that this community doesn't look the way that we want it to, the way that it needs to. And we'll start to blame the community and we'll probably get frustrated with God. The reality is that life together is hard and embracing each other as we currently are is really hard. But it's beautiful and good. This is the difference between choosing our dream versus reality. The dream of this sports rec league team is, is that they're amazing and that they're going to win the league and win the title and the crown. But the reality is that they're just amateurs. And just as we can choose to embrace reality and engage with the team or reject reality and disengage with the team because it doesn't live up to the dream that we have, so too we have to face the same decision with the church. Because each and every one of us has some dream or an ideal of how this whole church thing is meant to be. And it never quite lives up to our dreams, does it? Our dreams of church ultimately are rooted in some vision where this whole community is already fully saints. But that's the problem because I'm very far short of that standard still. And no offense, but you are too. And so we have to face the reality and make a choice. We either have to engage with the Christian community that exists already as it is. Not because of your dreams, not because of your ideals, but because this is the body of Christ which is broken but being healed by him. We choose to either receive and engage the community as it is, or we choose to reject and disengage because it doesn't live up to that dream. To go back to the soccer team, you don't get to wait until after the team has finally won the league and adopted your plans to finally embrace and receive the team as your own. You don't get to wait on the sidelines until they do something to win your approval and acceptance. You join the team as they already are, and you receive the team where they are. And you trust that the coach is going to be able to get them to where they need to be. Following Jesus is a life together with one another. We need each other as we are right now in order to fully follow and receive him and, and, and to truly pursue him. We're following Jesus together. And together, this whole life thing can be hard. But the thing is, Jesus empowers us to live this life together with one another. So let's turn now to uh, this final point. Let's turn our attention to how Jesus empowers us to live this life together with one another. Now, you may have noticed that all of these one another statements are commands. 
the things we're told to do. And even though we'd probably look at a lot of these and say, yeah, that's, that's a good thing to do. That's a good behavior for how we should live in this world. You might feel a resistance to this whole, like, do this, don't do that idea. It can be really easy to get this idea in our heads that in order for us to, in order for God to be happy with us, we need to do all the right things. We might think we need to do all these commands so that God will be happy with us. And we can believe that we need to earn God's love and acceptance by doing good things and doing enough good things. And, and maybe that's how it works with some other religions. But that's not how it works with Jesus. Elsewhere in Scripture, in Ephesians chapter 2, we read that, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not a result of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Doing good things won't save you. There's nothing you can do in your own strength that will save you. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And this is something we've explored a lot more in depth in this series already. And I know in St. Pete's Kids, you've explored this too, as you've been learning about how God kept rescuing his people even when they kept forgetting him over and over. And if this is something that you want to learn more about or you need to, to sit with, please come find me or come find Lloyd or Miss Rachel after the service. We'd love to talk with you about this. Or you can go on YouTube and, and find all of our past sermons in this series and listen to how Jesus has already done this for you. Because we don't keep these commands in order to get right with God. All the work to be made right with God has been already been done by Jesus Christ. And so when we come across commands in Scripture for us today, we find one that every command has already been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And two, we can do all these things empowered by his love and strength in us. Every single one of these commands has been fulfilled already by Jesus Christ. He said, love one another as I have loved you. Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Jesus is the model for all these commands. And in St. Pete's Kids, we talk about this as, as copying Jesus. We copy Jesus for all these behaviors and interactions we are to have in the life together with one another. Jesus is our model. But before Jesus can ever be our model, he has to be our savior. A Christian life is not a life where we just hold Jesus up as a role model for how we ought to live and behave. Jesus wasn't just another good moral teacher who said some cool things for us to try and do with one another in order to live a good life. If Jesus is going to be our model then the pretext for following him is to live out his teaching according to how you have received it from him. The only way you can forgive someone as Christ has forgiven you is if you've actually received Jesus' forgiveness for your own sins. The only way you can love someone as Jesus loves you is if you have experienced and you know how much he loves you. The only way you can know and experience his love and forgiveness is if he is your savior. It's not enough for Jesus to just be your role model. He's not just another moral teacher among many. Because he comes as savior and Lord. And it's only when we receive the finished work that he has done on our behalf, when we receive this new self, this new set of clean clothes of righteousness, having been washed and cleansed by him. It's only when he's our savior that he can actually be our model, when he can actually begin to empower and fuel us to live out this life which he's modeled for us to do. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. 
It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And in verse 10, it goes on to say, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When Jesus is our Savior, he saves us for good works. We are saved for good works. And this life together, this whole one anothering each other, as difficult and as messy as it can be, it's part of what we've been saved for. Jesus has saved you for the good work of one anothering each other in this room. Here in the reality of our life together. Now one of the greatest difficulties I think we can face as followers of Jesus is is seeing just how radically and immensely Jesus loves the people around us. And I suspect one of the greatest reasons we struggle with seeing this and knowing this is because we struggle to understand and to receive the extent of Jesus' love for ourselves. We struggle to realize and believe and to receive the extent of his love towards us. Jesus loves me. And Jesus loves you. And we are united together by him and his love. So by his love, we can love one another. I I used to have a dog named Cooper. Uh, this is a picture of him. He was a golden retriever, which is my favorite breed. And he wasn't just my family's dog. No, he, he was my dog. He was my dog, and I was his boy. I was his person. And I loved him, and he loved me. And when I moved to Vancouver in 2015, I, I couldn't bring him with me. I'd leave him with my parents in North Carolina. I, I'd moved here for school, and I just couldn't afford to take care of a dog and... It was six months before I got to see him again. And I will never forget how Cooper looked at me and saw me the first time I came home. He would always stand in the doorway uh, in the garage when my parents would come home. And my parents have a cat flap, and he would poke his head through it just as he was coming into the, into the garage. And so the car pulled up, and my mom opened the door, and there he was standing in the door. His, his body was swaying because his tail was wagging so much because he was happy to see my parents. And then I stepped out of the car. And (laughs) it was as though he did a double take. His eyes got big. I didn't know dogs could do that, but his eyes got big. And he saw me. And he recognized me. And he was overcome with delight and joy and love. It was this pure doggy joy. (laughs) And his boy had come home. The one who he hadn't seen for six months. And his response was to welcome me with all the love and joy and delight that any dog could muster for his long-lost master. He was elated when I came home. And he followed me everywhere that I went. Cooper's love and delight and joy and welcome is but a fraction of the love and delight and joy and welcome that I receive from Jesus when I come into his presence. Jesus' arms are open wide to welcome me, to scoop me up and pick me up off my feet as he pulls me into a tight, warm embrace and hug. That is the welcome and embrace I receive each and every single time I come into Jesus' presence. And that's the kind of love Jesus has for all of us. That's the kind of love Jesus has for you. An even more extreme love than Cooper's love for me. 
A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus doesn't just hold up a vision of what our lives need to look like. He's not going on the sidelines of the field with his arms crossed, glaring at us until we get our act together. He's not demanding we live a righteous life before he can love us. No. He already loves you just as you are. He already loves you just the way you are today. And he already accepts you and wants to welcome you into his arms. And, you know, with Cooper, Cooper loved me and welcomed me home, but he still wanted me to go for walks with him. He still wanted me to come out with him and, and follow him around and play with him to throw his ball. Jesus welcomes us every single time. Every single time we turn to him, he opens his arms wide open. He welcomes us and loves us and holds on to us. But he still wants to go for walks with us too. Just as Jesus loves you, he asks you to love and to receive the community of faith around you too. As they are, knowing and trusting that if Jesus' love and presence is at work in our midst, then he's already shaping this community into his vision, into his dream into his image. And although it's difficult and slow, he's doing it with all of us together. And so the question and the invitation for us today is not only do you know and will you receive the love Jesus has for you, but will you also receive and choose to love the community of faith that is around you who are loved, each of us loved the exact same way by Jesus Christ. Because following Jesus looks like a life together with one another. And Jesus empowers us by his spirit to do just that, to love each other as he loves us. So will you bow your heads and pray?